listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Holly's got our scripture for the morning. She's coming up. She's going to read it to us. It's going to be a fun one, y'all. I can go ahead and tell you as she's bringing it up. Read it for us, Holly. Good morning, everyone. My name is Holly Scoggins, and occasionally you see me in the praise band. Today I'll be reading Luke 17, 20 through 37. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see the one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and the lights Up in the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. Until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it is, Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house do not come down and take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, and that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take that with you. Thank you. Hard, hard lesson that Jesus is speaking to those about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room was this. Lord, when is the kingdom that we're all expecting going to show up? Now, we're seeing things from you. We're hearing things we've never heard before. And they're all related. You keep talking about this kingdom of God, that it is near. It is ready to be revealed. It is at hand. Lord, when is this kingdom going to arrive? We have a very specific expectation. We're looking for certain things, and and, and we really are becoming anxious about the kingdom that you keep talking about and we know that has been promised. Unfortunately, this question was introduced by the Pharisees and was very likely insincere. It was a question that they were asking to goad Jesus because in their mind they had already decided that he was not Messiah. Too many things against him in their mind. This is not the one. But let's put him on the spot and see if we can get him by trickery to tell us something about the kingdom that we can ultimately prove him wrong. I think that's what's happening. But as they're asking the question, many in the crowd were thinking the same things. Because this was a very universal expectation in the nation of Israel. 19th century historian... Emil Schurer summarized the Jewish people's expectations regarding the coming Messiah and the establishing of his kingdom as follows. Here's what most uh, Jewish people were expecting. Number one, the coming of Messiah would be preceded by a time of great tribulation. Some in the crowd also expected great 
cosmic and earthly signs to precede the coming of Messiah. Number two, in the midst of the turmoil, an Elijah-like prophet would appear heralding Messiah's coming. Number three, Messiah would establish his glorious kingdom and vindicate his people, the people of Abraham. Number four, the nations would ally themselves together to fight against Messiah and his kingdom. Number five, Messiah would then destroy all of those opposing nations. Number six, Jerusalem would be restored and made new and glorious. Number seven, the dispersed Jews all over the world would return to Israel. Number eight, Israel would become the center of the world and all nations would be subjected to Messiah. Number nine, Messiah's reign would be a time of eternal peace. Peace, righteousness, and glory. That's taken from the book, A History of the Jewish People in the Time of Jesus Christ. Again, by Emil, E-M-I-L, Schurer, S-C-H-U-R-E-R, for those of you who want to go check that quotation. They had very specific expectations of Messiah when he came what he was going to do, and in general, what this was going to look like. And to this point, some of the things could be argued had been seen. There had been a herald that had come out from the wilderness and pronounced that the kingdom of God was ready to be revealed. And then when Jesus walked on the scene, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It could be argued that some of these things had happened, but most were still not visible. Certainly not as visible as they were expecting. And so, rightly, they said, So, Jesus, what's up? Where's this kingdom you keep talking about? We found these truths. In the Old Testament, we found these things about the coming of Messiah in the scrolls of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, and Malachi. We found these expectations in the scrolls of the prophets. From the mouth of the Lord, we've heard these things, and we are expecting these things. Now, Jesus... Where in the world are they? If you were truly Messiah, then we would be seeing these things. But since we're not seeing them, obviously you're not the one unless you have some form of explanation. Where is the kingdom? When is the kingdom? When's it going to come? And he answered them, verse 20. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus gives a veiled answer to an insincere question about the subject of his message in every city that he's preached in. The kingdom of God that is at hand. Yes, they were waiting on the kingdom. Yes, they were basing their understanding on the Old Testament. And yes, all of the things that the Old Testament had promised will happen just the way God intends. What do I mean by that? I mean, whatever God said, God meant Whatever God said, he meant and will fulfill just exactly like he intends. But often we hear what God says and we formulate an idea in our mind about what that looks like and what that means and how that's going to transpire. And then we become disappointed when it doesn't work out that way. Those of you who are raising teenagers, it happens all the time. You say something, they hear it, they interpret it, and then they act according to what they understand you said, but they don't get what you meant 
And so then when you bring them into the understanding of what you meant by what you said, they become disappointed, disillusioned in you because you didn't, you did something different. No, I didn't do anything different. I did exactly what I said. I said what I meant and I did what I said. So what Jesus turns to these opposition players, these ones who have no faith in him, no expectation in him, he turns to them and he basically says, you guys are missing the boat. The Old Testament is true. Everything that God says is as God meant it. But you're missing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is not things you can see and identify unless the thing you're seeing is me. Now, Jesus didn't say Isaiah got it wrong. He didn't say Jeremiah was mistaken or that Joel must have had wax in his ears not understanding what God had said. Jesus is not denying what Malachi and Zephaniah had said and prophesied. But what Jesus is saying indeed is you're not understanding correctly because you're unwilling to see what God had said through the one whom God has sent. You've got this all wrong. The kingdom is not coming for your observation. The kingdom is not coming so that you can point and say, look, there, I told you, now let's all run to it. Not those things that you're expecting, but the one no one is expecting. For behold, verse 21, he says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus responded that God's kingdom was already present in the person of the king. Now, I call this message the already not yet kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that is already in some aspects but in other aspects is not yet. Let let me just give you a breakdown of, of how I'm understanding what God has said. Number one, God, because he is the creator and sustainer of all things, before God created, there was nothing but God. And we need to understand that before God created and there was nothing but God, God was completely satisfied in and of himself. In the relationship between Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God needed nothing. God was perfectly content in himself. But in his wisdom or in his desire, he chose to create from nothing everything that is. And God, as creator, as sustainer, is the sovereign ruler of all things that there are. You find that in Psalm 22, Psalm 45, Psalm 47, Psalm 103, Psalm 145. You find over and over and over again these words about God who is above all and through all. This God that is, is incomparable to anything else, who's always in control and has always sat upon his throne and will always be sovereign over everything that he has created. Even over the brokenness and pain and, 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 and trouble and turmoil that we live in in this world. Even through all of that, God is still on his throne. When you look around and you say, God, I would just wish that, that you, would, you would move in this thing. He is moving. But just in his grace, he's choosing not to move with definitive destruction, which he could do and be justified in it. Yet he is choosing to work in and through humanity, even as we are broken. But God has always been the single sovereign ruler of all things. But the kingdom of God is related to God's relationship of choice with his creation. 
The kingdom of God represents God's love for his creation and his desire in the beginning to have a direct reciprocal love relationship with his creation. We know that God would come in the cool of the evening and spend time with the first man and woman. He spent time with them with the, with the desire to love them of his own choosing and for them to reciprocate his love of their own choosing. But we know that very quickly in the story, we don't know how quickly in human history, but very quickly in the story, the man and the woman chose instead to reciprocate God's love, they chose to disobey his direct order not to eat of the one tree The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They fell to temptation. They chose the lie over God's truth. And they plunged all of humanity, all of creation into the brokenness that we live in today and we experience personally. They took that relationship and they flushed it down the toilet. And God's desire to to restore and to, to bring back into right fellowship that relationship with humankind is the, is the seed of this idea of his kingdom. It's where God is with mankind. It's where God is, is uh, directly involved with us. Right now, we, we know him spiritually by the connection that followers of Jesus have with the Holy Spirit. But God's kingdom has this direct face-to-face aspect with our sovereign and his creation. It represents his rule on earth. Number three, the kingdom of God was was prepared through the, 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 the people that would ultimately make up this nation that would be called Israel. It was prepared through prophets. It was prepared through priests and kings. It was prepared through victories and failures. This kingdom that is coming about to, to make good on promises made by God that we're going to be together again tangibly, directly, relationally connected to one another. It was prepared, it was announced as the one came and stood on the on the rock and said the kingdom of God is here, I'm to make way the way of the king. It was announced years before by the angels on the hillside to the shepherds. It was announced Months before to the mother who wasn't expecting to be a mother and a father who wasn't even yet a husband, it was announced that the kingdom that God has promised is ready to begin to be revealed. And then I believe that it was inaugurated with the death and resurrection of Jesus. I believe that it is now but it is also not yet because the full kingdom experience is not where we're living right now we're not living with the full meal deal if you will like Jesus is not visibly on his throne we're not experiencing the promises of peace and righteousness and 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 the fulfillment that comes with all of these things that God has said we're not experiencing but what we are experiencing are those first waves Of a kingdom that I believe was inaugurated by the death and resurrection of Jesus. But as Jesus is standing there with those men, he's saying, not you won't ever see these things. I have every expectation to the best of my understanding that all of those things that were prophesied are going to come about. Now, it's very likely that it won't be exactly like we're expecting. We have an expectation in our mind. Hollywood has prepared us for what we think things will look like and be like. We don't know. But I believe that everything that God has promised about this rule of Jesus with his people directly, I think it's going to happen. Jesus says, that's not where we're at. We're not there yet. And you're not going to see those things. The only thing you'll see is me. The kingdom of God is in your midst. It is right here before your eyes. 
The kingdom can't be present without the king. And I think the king brings with him all of the reality of the kingdom just missing some of the experience that is still yet to come. And I believe those things, through my study of Scripture, which is limited at best, I believe those things that will begin to be experienced will come when Jesus returns as He promised. Those things will begin to unfold. What's that going to look like? I have no idea. But I believe everything the prophet said. I believe everything that Jesus said about his return. I believe everything that Peter and Paul talked about the return of Christ. And I believe everything that the apostle John wrote in the last letter in the scripture known as Revelation. Even though I could not begin to tell you how we're supposed to understand all of that. Though I do have an idea. Bottom line is what Jesus is saying is... What you need to understand is that the kingdom is present in me. That's not the answer they wanted. They wanted Jesus to say when. They wanted Jesus to say where. And what Jesus said was, who is the kingdom? And everybody who by faith comes to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through me will walk into that kingdom will experience that kingdom but as he said Nicodemus unless you are born again you will not even see the kingdom so what we need to get is a good look today at the king The king is who we need to be focusing our attention on. The king needs to be in the center of our view. The king needs to be the center of our plans. The king needs to be the dividing or the the balancing act between yay or nay. The king needs to be who we put all of our eggs in his basket. That's what he says to them. It was a veiled answer to an insincere question. You're looking for something that you cannot see. But the kingdom, I tell you, boys, is right here with you. But then he turns to his disciples because they were wondering the same thing. They were wondering the same. When is the kingdom going to come? And they're going to keep asking it. We're going to find it even in this book. They're going to keep asking it when Jesus is resurrected. Now is the kingdom going to come? And he still is not going to give them all the answer that they want. He goes back up into heaven, leaving them with all kinds of ideas not fleshed out like they want. And even today, we can talk about how we think things are going to transpire. And even now, when things are going on in the world, we'll look to the Scripture and we'll go, I don't know, y'all. I mean, Russia, now they're talking about China, and and that's uh, Iran, and that's Gog and Magog, and other logs, and all those other Gogs coming in. You're like, I don't know. Look. Bottom line is there's supposed to be mystery because that's not where our attention is supposed to be. Our attention is supposed to be on the king. Now Jesus turns to these disciples after he, he doesn't blow off the Pharisees like he does, but he does kind of go, yeah, and I'm giving y'all what you want. The, the kingdom is in your midst. I'm going to leave it there. But then it says that he turns to his disciples And he gives them a vague description of the distant future. He tells the the Pharisees about the already aspects of the kingdom. The kingdom is here in me. And you can enter that kingdom through me by faith. But the not yet aspects... Well, let's talk about some of these. And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's just preparing them... For a small sliver of the things that are to come. And I think what he's talking about is his second coming. There are other aspects of of how we think based on what Scripture says, Old New Testament. There are things that we are expecting, but that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here, I believe, 
is his return to rule. He said to his disciples, the days, verse 22, are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. When he says here, the days of the Son of Man, and in Luke, he's using this term, the Son of Man. If you'll look up when you have an opportunity, Daniel chapter number 7, verses 13 and 14, you're going to discover where Daniel talks about, and in one of my visions, one of my dreams, I saw one like a Son of Man. And this Son of Man is given authority, and this Son of Man takes up a position of rulership over everything. All of the kingdoms in the world, including you, Nebuchadnezzar, all the kingdoms that are going to follow him, this one, like the Son of Man, takes that place of authority and rule and reign. I think it's important that you understand that Jesus is dropping that name for a purpose. He is the promised Son of Man. He's the God-man. He is like you and me in humanity in all aspects with only one difference. No sin. But he never ceased to be in all aspects true God of true God. He is the god Man, the Son of Man, that representative of God, that direct link between the God who is spirit and humanity that is flesh, we have the God-man. He is our mediator. He is the representative of the Godhead bodily. Boom, he's the king. And he says, the Son of Man, you're going to wish for the, the days are coming... When you're going to wish the Son of Man was ruling in His kingdom. And He's going to. But you're not going to see it. What does that tell us? That tells us that things are going to get so tough that you're going to be saying, I just wish the King was on His throne and all of this persecution and all this difficulty is over. But it's not going to be. But don't you worry. God's still on his throne. These things that you're expecting, they're going to come to you and you're going to hear all kinds of debates and all kinds of divisions about when he's coming. I heard recently about a book that was written. Maybe some of y'all will remember that, that however many 89 reasons that God's gonna, or Jesus is going to return in 1989. I mean, I'm just saying, right? We, we've gone through entire music genres since 1989. He's not back. Jesus says, look, folks are going to come and they're going to say, this week's coming. This week, this week, oh, look, look, that right there, me, and, and he is going to be the one that we're looking for, and they're going to, and it's going to, and just hold on, and you could probably not buy up a bunch of cans because we're going to be, go look, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus said, don't get caught up in that. Don't, don't get tripped up by all of that divisive stuff that's coming. You're not going to see it. They'll say to you, look there or look here. Don't go out and follow them. Here's the bottom line. When the kingdom signs begin to take place, nobody's going to miss it. You think about being outside and, and, and lightning strike. I, lo I love the summertime I know that we call it heat lightning, and basically I know that that's a meteorological falsehood. There's no such thing. I mean, we might not hear it, but whatever happens when we hear lightning is also happening when we see it up in the sky. But I love it here in Florida in the summer because, I mean, when it strikes from one side to the next, it's just, it's brilliant. It's, it's dangerous. I mean, obviously, it kills you, but it's awesome to see. Just off in those clouds, just like, oh man, that is just such power out of it. Jesus says, you know when the, when the lightning flashes and you're like, whoa, that just lit up the whole sky. There's no mistaking what just happened. Jesus said, look, you're going to wish for the days of the Son of Man, but you're not going to see it. You're going to press on. You're not going to be distracted. You're going to stay on focus. 
Because when he returns, and he will, there'll be no denying it. It'll light from one end to the other. Does that mean that Jesus is going to ride back on a lightning bolt? Don't go there. What's he doing? He's making an illustration to help us understand that it's not going to be missed. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church there in Thessalonica who was really frightened that they had missed the return of Jesus. They they were really bent out of shape because they were hearing rumors that Jesus had already come, that he had already done, and they missed it. They were also curious about what happens if Jesus already come, but if he's not come, what's going to happen to those that are already dead? And Paul's just like, could y'all calm down? First of all, when he returns, it don't matter who's dead because the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will be caught up together to meet him in the air. What y'all reckon that is? Well, I don't know. The word says rapturo in my Greek text. Y'all call it what you want, but I think it's an event. Don't y'all worry about the ones who are dead. They're getting up every time that I, I do a funeral and we go to a graveside. That's the passage that I read. And, and it's, uh, it's, I always say the same thing. I hope that on the day Christ returns that I'll have the privilege of being able to stand with a family in grief. Because honestly, I want to know what that's going to look like. Because that, I think, is just going to be amazing. To see those that have gone to come out of the grave in new bodies. Bottom line is, though, I'll get to see them on the way either way. Amen? That's just what he says, right? Right? We're going so. All right. So Jesus says, don't worry about that. Don't, don't get distracted. Paul's like, don't worry about those. You ain't missed nothing. He's not come back. I'm still here. So he's not back yet. So we're, we're just going to keep pressing. We're not going to get all bent out of shape about that. You're not going to miss it when he comes. Because the lightning flash can be seen from one end of the sky to the next. But first, Jesus says, Verse number 25. But first, you're missing all that God intends for my first coming. See, his first coming had to do with sin. You say, well, well, why is Jesus offering the kingdom? Why Why is he offering the kingdom to Israel? Why is he seemingly upset that they're not receiving him? Well, because he was the promised one. They should have recognized him. They should have known, especially those leaders in the synagogues and the temple, should have known him and should have pointed the people to him. And yet they were not because of their own pride and their own wickedness and their own desire to stay in their man-made facade authorities. The bottom line is that there was a purpose and a plan for Jesus coming. And that purpose he's already told them as he makes the turn from Galilee and sets his face toward Jerusalem. He says, I got to go to Jerusalem where I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be raised on the third day. His purpose, he says, before all of this happened, guys, first, the son of man must suffer and he must suffer many things and be rejected by this nation. But his return in glory is still going to come about. Just make sure you understand what comes first and then understand there's going to be a time frame where you're going to want him to come, but he's not going to come. Doesn't mean he's not coming, just means not come yet. But when he comes, it'll be undeniable. Between Jesus and, and his, his suffering and his return... He says, life will seem like it's going on as normal. Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to be raised. 
Some in the community are going to be blown away and they're going to communicate that and some are going to believe. But many are going to get up and go, well, we got a long way home from uh, Passover. We better get an early start. And they're going to go home and they're going to resume their duties just as they had before they came. And they're going to raise their children and they're going to celebrate their marriage. And they're going to welcome grandchildren and they're going to be excited about watching them grow up. They're going to die. The parents are going to grow up, become the patriarchs. Children are going to grow up. They're going to get married. They're going to have kids. The parents are going to die. The kids are going to grow up. Kids are going to have both babies. It's just going to go on and on and on, he says. And it will be just like it was in two accounts in the book of Genesis. Number one. He says it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. You can find this story in Genesis chapter 6 and 7. So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. When the Son of Man returns, they will be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. There's going to be a time when the Son of Man will suffer and then you'll long for His return, but He won't return. But I'm telling you, when He does come back, it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. Let me read for you Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5. It says, The Lord saw in the time of Noah that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In the time of Noah, life was going on just like normal. Death and birth and marriage and and on and on. And the wickedness of man was unbelievable. Verse number 11 of the same chapter. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Now you think about our world today. Would it be fair that the thoughts and the intentions of human hearts are seemingly always pointed toward wickedness? Is that fair? You have to nod that's fair. Because if you know Jesus as Savior, and I hope you do, you know good and well that you yourself wrestle with great amounts of wickedness in your own heart. And if you get far enough away from your walk with God, you know good and well you can walk very easily in the steps of all that same old wickedness that you experienced before Jesus. So you know full well that if you don't know Jesus as Savior, then you have no hope against the wickedness. And you look around you. It's everywhere. You you think what we can see is wicked? There's a whole nother level of the internet that you can't even get to unless you know how to get there. And the wickedness I understand that is there is beyond explanation. It it is a debauchery the likes that most of us can't even fathom. But life goes on. And it's the norm. And we're having weddings. And yes, we're having funerals. But we're dedicating babies. And we probably got plans for lunch even after this. Jesus says, that's what it's going to be like. Not something that you can look and go, oh, hold on. No, it's going to be going, and that's the way the Son of Man's. Because in the days of Noah, Noah was out there building the ark for 20 years, telling folks, it's going to rain, y'all. God said it's going to rain. He's going to destroy it. I'm building this boat. I don't know how all of us going to fit, but I feel like he'll make room. For anybody who wants to get on this boat. And what did they do? They laughed. They scorned. They made fun of this dude building this boat. What does he need a boat in the middle of the yard for? And life went on until the day Noah and his family and a whole bunch of, I'm hoping, baby animals got on that boat. 
And God shut the door. And then it began to rain. And rain. And rain. And rain and rain and rain and rain. But then it was too late. Opportunity after opportunity. He says, that's the way it's going to be. Not only that, but likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. Genesis chapter number 19. You'll discover that Lot wasn't that great of a guy. But if you'll read 2 Peter chapter number uh, 2, you'll discover that compared to the folks in Sodom, Lot was a righteous guy. In the days of Lot, you know what happened. Lot chose the best, left the worst for Abraham, went and, and, and settled in Sodom next to the city of Gomorrah where all kinds of ungodly activity was happening. And what did God say? I'm not putting up with that anymore. And God, in his sovereignty destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what? He don't apologize for that. We, 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 don't, we don't need to figure out why God. God does what God does because he is sovereign, he is holy, he is righteous, and he is just. And he don't owe you an explanation, and he don't owe me an explanation. Genesis chapter 19 said he destroyed those two cities. But before he did so, he made a way for Lot and his family to escape. Lot was trying his best to communicate the impending judgment on these cities. And he too was mocked and laughed out of town. Just like it was in the days of Lot, so will it be in the day when the Son of Man returns. The day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur, verse 29, rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Because whatever you got inside ain't going to help you none. Once the day of the Lord begins to unfold. But remember this. Y'all remember Lot had a wife? What happened to her? You know, you've been around Sunday school. You know, they were leaving town. And everybody was told, you need to focus on getting shelter. Get out of Sodom and don't look back. Keep your eyes in front of you. What God is doing back there, God's doing back. Let God have that. You get to safety. The scripture tells us that Lot's wife, on leaving the city, turned back around. Lot didn't, Lot's wife didn't get scared. Lot's wife didn't hear something bump and look around to see what was bumping behind her. She looked back, longing for the life she had in Sodom. And what did God do? Gave it to her. Killed her right there. Said she turned to a pillar of salt. That's just disturbing. Bottom line is she was more interested in what she was losing than the safety that was being provided for her. Jesus says, in those days, you need to be communicating to folks. I'm the answer. I'm the one. I'm the king. I'm the bringer of what is. I am the giver of the escape. I'm the giver of the safety. You got to decide, am I going to keep my life or am I going to give up my life? If I keep my life, then I end up losing it eternally. But if I'll leave my life that I have here in exchange for the life that can be mine through the king, well, then I've gained it, Mark 8, 35 and 36. Jesus says it's going to be like that. Those seeking to hold on to their own lives will lose it, but those willing to give up their lives in exchange for the life of Christ will keep it. Learn a lesson from the Old Testament. Verse number 36 Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. 34, I tell you, then that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. 
There will be two women grinding together wheat in the, in the, in the, the, the press. The, the, ah, you know where I'm talking about. Uh, one will be taken, the other will be left. This idea of the return of Christ coming suddenly and separating those who are of the kingdom and those who are not of the kingdom. Jesus talks about them as wheat and tares, sheep and goats. Jesus says, when I return, when the Son of Man comes back, when the time is right, you can't mistake it. It's going to be sudden. It's going to bring about judgment. And it's going to separate those who are and are not a part of it. What we don't know is if Jesus is referring to the one taken into safety and left for judgment or if he's talking about one being taken into judgment and left to safety. Bottom line is somebody's safe, somebody's not. And it's all dependent upon their connection to the king. It's all dependent in the not yet for their connection to the one who is already. Jesus says this judgment it's going to be coming everywhere that sin reigns. Where, where, Lord, is this going to be? Verse 37. Where, where are we going to see this happen? And he says something that's really striking. He says, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. There's a field next to the, to the property here, and there's all-time animals dying over there because there are vultures that live around and they're always circling this area because there's that area that those animals go die. Jesus says, you, you want to know where the judgment's going to come? It's going to be everywhere sin reigns. Everywhere death is holding court. Wherever you are, wherever there are folks, that's where judgment will be when Christ returns. That's what it's going to look like, this vague description of a distant future. You're like, well, what in the world does that have to do with encouraging us today? Well, I wrote down some things to remember. Based on what Jesus said to the Pharisees and taught his disciples about the already and not yet nature of the kingdom. Number one, remember this, entrance into God's already not yet kingdom is by faith alone in the work of the king himself. You see, I believe that upon Jesus' resurrection, that aspects of the kingdom were inaugurated for you and I. Where we can live on the principles of the kingdom. Where we can respond to the word of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Accomplishing things that would never be possible through our own strength alone. We can live as citizens of a whole new place. Because this is not our home. And we can live as, as subjects of the king. Who is at the right hand of the sovereign. Who we're not yet experiencing his tangible reign. But let me tell you what. He has ascended. And he'll never face death again. And all he's waiting on is the return from his father. And he'll return. Until then, we have a job to do. But if you're going to enter that kingdom... It's going to be by faith and by faith alone in Jesus. Number two, debates and distractions about future things are all over the place. I'm not saying don't study your Bible. I'm not saying don't read books about the end times theology. But I am saying avoid getting caught up in that stuff. Because you can get so distracted about things going on in our world that you forget that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So don't get caught up in the end things. Study about it. Learn about it. Talk to somebody else about it. But I'm just saying, stay on board. Number three, circumstances might get really hard before Jesus returns. Well, that's where you can look at the news and go, what? Are, they, uh, are you kidding? Look, things could get really bad. And we may be looking at one another saying, when is he going to return? 
And he doesn't quite yet come back. I don't know how long it's going to be, but here's the bottom line. We got to stay focused on Christ and not fall victim to fear. Because we've still got a calling, and it's still to make disciples. Number four, this world is not our home. This world is not our home. If you know Jesus as Savior, don't waste time and resources on stuff that won't last. Don't put all your attention on stuff in this world that's just going to burn up with this world. Number five, as long as there is time, the lost still have hope. Stay engaged in the mission of the gospel. You say, I don't know what that means. Well, maybe you need to get engaged with the mission of the gospel. Let's talk about how that could look for you if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't know how much time's left before he returns, but I will here now. There's time right now. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm telling you, there is no other name by which you can be saved. But if you'll come through him, well, then you can enter the already kingdom in anticipation of what's not yet. And you can have confidence and courage to keep following him and representing him from now on. What's the bottom line? I always like the stay calm memes. Those pictures says stay calm. Bottom line, with all that's still yet to come, stay calm. Make disciples. Keep Jesus in the center of your vision. Follow him as he leads. Amen? And if you don't know him, trust him today. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. God, we ask that you will help us to take the words of Jesus as words of truth, to be understood to the best that we can, but to focus our attention not so much on the things that are to come, but on the King who has come, on the King who has risen and made salvation available to all who will trust in His death and resurrection. And I pray that you will help us to be motivated to share that truth, to present that gospel at every turn we have an opportunity to share. Whether it's friends and family or co-workers, folks that we do life with in all the arenas in which we live, that we'll be faithful, that we'll give, Father, so that your word can be taken throughout the ends of this earth, that we'll go and be willing to let you send us wherever you'll send us for the purpose of your gospel, that we'll be obedient to your word, that we'll study it, that we'll desire to know you, that we'll be ready and prepared when your son returns. He's coming back. We are confident. We praise you for that reality. Until then, we ask your strength, we ask your courage, and God, we ask that you'll give us your wisdom and direction in everything we face for your glory. We love you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, 